He was the mentor and teacher of Louis Armstrong. His influence was such that Armstrong claimed, it was my ambition to play as he did. I still think that if he had not been for Joe Oliver, jazz would not be what it is today. A pioneer of what would be known as the Harmon Trumpet Mute, Joe King Oliver was a key figure in the first period of jazz history. Welcome to Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and again, this is the podcast where we're going to listen to old-timey music of long-lost artists and some old technology we're going to talk about. This episode is Joe Oliver, the King. Joseph Nathan Oliver was born in Eben, Louisiana, near Donaldsonville in the Ascension Parish. To Nathan Oliver and Virginia Ginny Jones, he claimed 1881 was his year of birth in his draft registration in September 1918, but that year is open to debate with some census records and other sources suggesting 1884-1885 as his true year of birth. Joseph Oliver moved to New Orleans in his youth and began musical studies on the trombone but switched to the cornet as a teenager. Touring with a brass band at the turn of the 20th century, Oliver worked in various marching and cabaret bands in and around New Orleans, including bands led by Kid Ory and Richard M. Jones. But moved north in 1918 to settle in Chicago. But after a short stay in California, he went back and returned to Chicago and formed his own ensemble, which included bassist Bill Johnson, trombonist Honoré Dutry, clarinetist Johnny Dodds, his brother drummer Warren Baby Dodds, and pianist Lillian Harden. King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band, as it was called, debuted on June 17, 1922, at the Lincoln Gardens Cafe in Chicago. Shortly thereafter, Oliver wired New Orleans requesting for a second cornetist, his former apprentice, Louis Armstrong. The new ensemble was a hit, captivating audiences with its deep rhythmic vitality and uh, improvised polyphony and unbelievable double coronet breaks. Oliver and Armstrong seemed to improvise on the spot in perfect unison. Here's part one, Dipper Mouth Blues, 1923. Thank you. 
noticeably different in his approach were the faster tempos unlike the slow drags in the dance halls of New Orleans. In Chicago, stylistically, Oliver was not the exuberant soloist that Armstrong would become. Rather, his innovations were largely in his use of the trumpet mute and that effects. Directly inspired by Oliver's wah-wah sound, the Harmon Company manufactured the now widely used Harmon mute. The jungle style popularized by Bubber Millie and Duke Ellington's orchestra reflected Oliver's mastery of the plunger. While the popularization of the Harmon mute forged a direct link between Oliver and such modernist trumpeters as Miles Davis and Harry Edison. Oliver's band set down the first significant body of records by black jazzmen, although accounts from this period suggest that the recordings only hinted at the power of the live group. Including several alternate takes, 37 cuts survived the period, most recorded during the 1923 time period. Oliver's most acclaimed solo featured on the song Dipper Mouth Blues. It exemplified his uniquely vocalized style, and it was later orchestrated by Fletcher Henderson's orchestra as the Sugarfoot Stomp. Here's part two, Canal Street Blues on Gannett 1923. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oliver and his band returned to Chicago in 1922, where they started playing at the Lincoln Garden as King Oliver and his Creole jazz band. Now, recordings made by this group in 1923 for Gannett, OK, Paramount, Columbia, demonstrated the New Orleans style of collective improvisation, also known as Dixieland, and brought it to a larger audience. Because they were recording acoustically into the big horn that was directly connected to the needle making the record master, Armstrong notably had to stand in the corner of the room away from the horn because his powerful playing bounced the needle off the master. In addition, white musicians would visit Lincoln Gardens in order to learn from Oliver and his band. Because Lincoln Gardens was in Chicago's predominantly or fully black neighborhood and only admitted blacks, the white players listened outside near the front door. A prospective tour in the Midwestern states ultimately broke up the band in 1924. King Oliver's Creole jazz band disbanded with Louis Armstrong on his way to New York. Oliver recorded Tom Cat Blues with pianist Jelly Roll Morton, and his new group, King Oliver's Dixie Syncopators, made additional records. Oliver moved to New York himself in 1927 and found regular work at the Savoy Ballroom though he also supposedly was rejected for a position at the Cotton Club, which instead famously went to Duke Ellington. Here's part three, King Oliver's Dixie Syncopators, Dr. Jazz. Thank you. 
Sadly, suffering from pyorrhea, a gum disease, Oliver's abilities declined and soon began delegating his solos to younger coronetists in his ensemble, including his nephew Dave Nelson, Louis Metcalf, and Red Allen. He reunited the band in 1928, recording for Victor Talking Machine Company one year later. He continued with modest success until a downturn in the economy made it more difficult to find bookings. Again, the Great Depression brought hardship to Oliver. He lost his life savings to a collapsed bank in Chicago, and he struggled to keep his band together through a series of hand-to-mouth gigs until the group broke up. His gum disease made playing the trumpet progressively difficult, and by 1935, Oliver could no longer play at all. Though he would continue to lead bands for a couple of more years, ailing and frustrated, Oliver settled in Savannah, Georgia, where, having pawned his trumpet, his finest clothing, he maintained a small fruit stand and worked as a pool hall janitor. He quit playing music in 1937. Oliver died in poverty from uh, arteriosclerosis, or as... Louis Armstrong later suggested a broken heart. Too broke to afford treatment, he died in his Savannah rooming house on April 8th or 10th, 1938. His sister spent her rent money to have his body brought to New York, where he was buried at the Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. Here's part four. King Oliver and his orchestra, Too Late, on Victor, 1929. Thank you. 
a powerful player whose Creole jazz band recordings captured him at his best. Oliver's reputation has suffered over time, and jazz historians often relegate him to his only role as Armstrong's mentor, and also the fact that bad business decisions and difficulty adapting to changing tastes continually haunted him in later years. But both as a teacher and a musician, Oliver played an important role in the early history of jazz. Now, King Oliver was inducted as a charter member of the Gannett Records Walk of Fame in Richmond, Indiana in 1927. Thank you for listening. This has been Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and if you like the show, comment about it, share it. You got ideas, send them to me too. I'm Sean again, and I'll catch you on the flip side.